0: Having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The
1: swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it.
0: South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill.
1: Yes, you're listening to The Six O'Clock Swill, the podcast detested by wowsers who purse their lips in disgust. They our brazen defence of free conversation between consenting adults. I'm Nick Cater, manning the Swill Nerve Centre here in Sydney. Tim Blair is on the New South Wales Central Coast. And we have a guest from the West, Caroline DeRusso, joining us from Perth defying the McGowan government's isolationist edicts by using an internet service connected to the outside world. Welcome Caroline, you made it.
2: Thank you, lovely to be here and you managed to get that internet link through customs.
1: <laughs> yeah and we're, we're hoping later to, to an even greater feat which is to get an internet connection with the land of the long white teeth. our <laughs> Ardern's New Zealand to talk to Leighton Smith, radio talkback legend and a shrewd observer of things New Zealand. First up, we've got to talk about the truck convoy. Last week, the truck convoy was in Ottawa. and I see this week it's, it's reached Auckland, quite how I don't know because I typed directions from Ottawa to Auckland into Google Maps and it said,
0: route not known. <laughs> well, here, here's, a, here's a little known fact for you, Nick. I think I know how they got there. there uh, remember the 70s hit Convoy, C.W. McCall's Convoy. Yeah, how could you forget? Great novelty song. There is a, he actually, you know, the song was such a big hit, he couldn't resist doing a sequel. The sequel is beyond hilarious because it involves the con- convoy going international. They cross the oceans in trucks. <laughs> so C.W. McCall, he nailed it. I urge everyone to look up the convoy sequel on YouTube and um, be astonished. I think they made it to Australia. I'm not sure even in this song if they made it to New Zealand, but they certainly got to um, uh, Japan and Europe. It's, uh, it's a, a classic of its genre. Its genre being exactly two songs yeah
1: <laughs> i you've got to be careful mentioning novelty songs. Fred Paul the other week mentioned maxwell's silver hammer and and it's been going around in my head ever since blast him. but uh, uh, um on this on this uh, on this convoy business, I think I just said Auckland by the way I mean it's easy mistake to make. You'd think Auckland is the capital of New Zealand, but apparently there's a town called Wellington. Wellington named after a variety of rubber boot I think which is the uh, the capital anyway the convoys reached there with 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 serious results apparently I read that, um, you know, that an, a, a naked woman was dragged away by police by her hair in what the poli- what what was described as the eruption of of an ugly incident in one of the in in the in the one of the New Zealand newspapers I thought it was a different kind of eruption for them I mean the country is usually in a constant state of earthquakes and eruption but uh, yeah it's a big big protest but what does this say uh, Tim and Caroline what does it say about the way this this real uh, reaction against the elite, uh, condescending, authoritarian attitude to COVID is really setting in now. I mean, do we think this is serious or is it really as you know, Jacinta Ardern and, and Justin Trudeau would have us to believe just a, a, you know, a minor, small group of, of fruitcakes?
0: Well, mate, you've got to look at the history of these sort of movements to get a context of it. You know, I remember... Um, I'm so old, everybody. I remember when there was a, a few sort of reports coming out of Eastern Europe, something was going on in Poland. There was something down at the docks, a couple of disputes. And it didn't really get huge coverage for until it became big. Uh, that was uh, Lech Walesa and uh, the Solidarity Movement. And it turned into quite a, quite a big deal historically. Now, I'm not saying yet that the truckers are at that level, of course. I mean, that was a, a massive thing. But it's certainly driven by many of the same impulses, the same economic restrictions that were imposed and that drive working class rebellions. Now, I'm looking forward to having a chat to Leighton about this because it seems to me that in Canada, the divide between the, um, the cities and the, and the regions is probably bigger than certainly in Australia, where it's big enough and um, possibly bigger still than uh, than a similar divide in New Zealand. You've got a lot of people who aren't in the laptop class, which we're all fortunate enough to be in, and we haven't lost a dime throughout all this ridiculous pandemic. Or a
1: kilo. We haven't lost... We've put on a few
0: kilos, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the people who, but who've been economically constrained, first by the lockdowns and now by regulations that demand, for example, in Canada, vaccine passports and vaccine approval to cross borders and such, you know, which which, when you're told you can't cross provincial and international borders in Canada, that makes driving a truck for a living very difficult. So that's what's inspired that. And uh, it's inspired a similar movement in uh, New Zealand. We've of course had demonstrations in Canberra and um, there's now talk of a very large scale trucker convoy to Washington DC, which would be fascinating.
1: How about Perth? Have you got a truck convoy there yet? Caroline, or would no, you, would you like quite. us to organise
2: one? No, not quite. I believe there's one on the way to Canberra. But I think, I think where this is all born out of is at the beginning of this, everyone was very willing to do the right thing. Everyone was very willing to just, you know, be quite compliant and, you know, collective good, you know, greater good and all that sort of thing. And then all the have nots realized that the haves were taking the piddle after a good long while, and they realized they were the only one following the rules, and the elites weren't in fact following the rules. And in the WA sense, you know, we've had these borders imposed for such a long time, but they they only apply to the punter and they don't apply to the billionaires and they don't apply to sports people. So this particular like this weekend, we've got the AFLW teams flying in and flying out for the weekend. Um, but then no one else can come here unless it's compassionate grounds. Well, everyone, everyone thinks that's BS, and quite frankly, it is BS. The other thing that will be interesting to watch is not only is this a political issue in the sense of um, rules and compliance and who has to comply with them and who doesn't, but if you start to look at the impacts of inflation, some of which are caused by um, uh, issues with supply, uh, but we're seeing food prices in a global sense rise um, at the quickest at the quickest rate since the Arab Springs and we all remember what happened then
1: I think they're up up. it's just been a, a pandemic of the rich in many ways the poor have suffered but in another way I, ha- I had a I had lunch with a, a really interesting doctor the other day who does some marvelous work uh, for charity in, in, in Tanzania. Perhaps we'll get him on to talk about it. But he told me that there have been extraordinarily low amounts of COVID-19 in Ethiopia. And you go, well, what? You know, it's a very it's a poor country. You know, there's a lot of poverty. you have got a civil war going on. How come there's no COVID, very little COVID-19 in Ethiopia? And it turns out, of course, not only is there no COVID-19, but there's no such thing as type 2 diabetes or obesity and they walk everywhere because there's only three cars per thousand people.
2: Yeah. It's a disease of the affluent.
1: Yeah disease exactly exactly.
2: I also call it the disease of the socially unconnected.
0: But you see a similar thing with um, things like uh, depression and suicide rates. The poor of the country um, uh, the suicide rates and depression rates actually um, decline. I don't know what it, what drives that but again it's an affluent thing perhaps.
2: The other thing that's really interesting, I spent a lot of time in Latin America, and I remember having a conversation um, with um, a lady in Colombia, and that something had just happened in Australia. I can't remember what it was, but there was something in the news about IVF, and I was trying to explain to this lady in my third language what IVF was and talking about fertility issues, and she's like, "Oh, we don't have we don't have fertility issues in Colombia."
1: It's the opposite.
2: It's the opposite. And, and so there must be something to do with our lifestyle and our food and probably our stress and, and that sort of thing, which does lead to all, all sorts of various, some are lifestyle illnesses and I think some are just maybe progressive type genetic, I'm not sure, but I found that really interesting. She thought the idea of, of fertility issues was really quite unusual, but for us it's quite common.
1: What does it feel like to live in WA right now, Caroline? You know, you feel, do you feel claustrophobic or I know it's a big state?
2: Uh, I do. I feel quite suffocated. As you know, um, prior to COVID, I was on an aeroplane probably once a month, both internationally and to the eastern states. Um, I, did, I did a fair bit of business overseas and I have a fair few clients um, on the east coast. And in the very beginning, when we weren't really sure what was happening, I, like everyone else, was happy to just kind of take a back seat and just wait and see what happened. But once we started to get the data and we started to understand what was going on, and then we had vaccination and all those sorts of things, it became totally evident to me that the laptop classes and the the governmental type classes, they... They have a very different risk management strategy to what the everyday person has. And here in WA, the politics of fear has been, it has been a masterclass. It has been an absolute masterclass in terrifying the population, that if you catch COVID, you're going to die. Ironically, today the Premier, we had 51 cases, the Premier's telling everyone not to panic, and I'm like, well, if you didn't scare them witless for two years, their probs wouldn't be panicking. But there is just no appetite for any sort of risk. The government's your helicopter, mum. They're meant to keep you safe. That's the government's job is to keep you safe. And if we open the border, those filthy, disgusting people from the eastern states will come here with their diseases and kill you as if it's like the, literally the Spanish landing in Panama. It makes no sense because when you actually look at the numbers and you you think about it in the context of life, of which there is unavoidable risk, I hate to break it to people, um, we seem to be so overly sensitive about this. And um, it's almost quite a psychosis. And, And if you're someone in WA, like me and like a few others, who puts your head up above the parapet and says, well, If the AFL Grand Final can come here, well, then people should be able to come to WA on compassionate grounds. And you get shot down as if you're a genocidal maniac.
0: Well, Caroline, if you spend the best part of 30 years convincing people that the planet's going to catch on fire and we're all going to die, if you can get people to panic about something that isn't happening... You can
2: get them to panic about it. Well, it's a
0: lot easier to get them to panic when something even, you know... Something that presents to most people a, a very minor health risk—it's uh, uh, much easier to get them to panic about that. They've actually, can actually, you know, they can point to people in hospitals and go, "Well, you know, now's time to really panic."
2: It's just extraordinary. It's like someone went to hospital the other day, and it was a breaking news story that a person with COVID went to hospital. Good <laughs> Lord. Like, people go to hospital every day for stuff. How how can this be any different? And the rules are so insanely over the top that they have to keep changing them so the rules for international students change three times in 10 days the rules with regards to school had to change in the second week like just put in place measured rules in the first place and you don't have to keep chopping and changing because people like me have just totally switched off because you're like what's the point of listening to what the new rules are because they're going to be different in a week
1: yeah look, we are an international programme, of course. we we may come from Australia, but we cover the world in every in every corner. So back to Canada, it seems like not the whole convoy has made the journey from Ottawa to Wellington. Tim, you picked out this um, clip from the trucking protest. Let's listen to it.
2: So you want, you're telling me no. That I should be getting my kids out of town because no, they're going to get anything. hurt. I'm not the RCMP is going to come in I'm here and do what to my kids? What, do. what are they going to? What? Because uh, you don't give a out. shit about nobody. All you care about is your no, paycheck. You sold your soul a long time ago. I have two teenagers here, down here down that in are in my car. Are they in danger? Yes or no? I don't. I don't. I don't. Yes or no? I don't know what the future brings. I don't.
0: Just to give you some context, there. um, the angry, justifiably angry fellow was uh, a member of the the protest. Uh, the person talking to him was a journalist with his crew from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, you know the the equivalent of the ABC, the CBC. And uh, he'd turned up and uh, was talking to the truckers about child welfare services moving in, you know to protect the children who were uh, accompanying some of their parents uh, at the at the protest. And uh, yeah, it turned out, as a lot of people might have expected, There's another thing about the... I mean, we all love academics. They're all terrific people, and I've never met a stupid one at all. I think uh, my history of respect and high regard for academics uh, goes without saying, but every so often one of them might let the team down. Here's um, Juliet KM. She's at Harvard. She's a former Obama official. That's how much of a genius she is. She writes on Twitter, The convoy protest, applauded by right-wing media as a freedom protest is an economic and security issue now. Uh-huh. This is her advice to the uh, people taking on the um, the truckers. Slash the tyres, empty gas tanks, arrest the drivers and move the trucks. Now, one or two problems. I know, look, she's at Harvard, so she's got to be a genius, so I don't know how this has slipped by her, but when you slash the tyres and drain the fuel tanks on trucks, it makes them really hard to move. <laughs> There's a, something secondary to that is that gas tanks well they use diesel but that's a technicality but the main thing i like about her suggestion is slash the tires now ordinary road car tires run at anywhere between say 25 35 pounds per square inch of pressure and they're not particularly robust as anyone who's hit a west australian pothole will tell you you can uh, you can burst a tire without going to too much trouble truck tires however they run at anywhere between 100 and 120 pounds per square inch of pressure. That's mighty high. That's why you never see bits of car tyres scattered around on freeways, but you do see exploded tyres. When a truck tyre explodes, yeah,
2: yeah, it's a big deal. boom, yeah, yeah.
0: And um, if you were to slash one, although you know the rubber on those things is mighty thick, you're not going to be able to do it with a pocket knife. If you were to slash a truck tyre, let's say you did it in the middle of Perth, well, you would start the search in Port Hedland. <laughs> <laughs> because you're gonna be a long way away from the, the scene of the initial initial detonation. So yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe Harvard people somehow just basic laws of physics escape these, uh, these geniuses.
2: Can I ask a question? Was there a similar tweet last year when the Black Lives Matter protests were going on in various American cities and stuff was being set on fire and people were setting up camps and all that kind of thing?
0: Carolyn, as I'm sure you're aware, there were people did tweet opposition to those BLM rallies, but of course that was only done by racists.
2: Yes, correct. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I forgot. You can only be a security if you're a racist.
0: But uh, yeah, there was a, a lot of people who were hostile to them, but uh, no, they were dismissed as the ravings of white supremacists, and uh, and people had their accounts shut down. So yeah, there, there was that.
1: Yeah, I don't know how we we always we constantly think we can play the hypocrisy card. And win arguments, and and it constantly just bounces back.
2: Well, that's because they don't care. They know they're hypocrites, but they don't care because they tell a better story than we do.
0: Yes, yes, that's that's a, that's a point. But um, with the Canadians, um, it's it's been astonishing to look at the difference between what people on the ground are doing, the coverage that we're getting from uh, from various outlets online, independent outlets, and the. Um, the mainstream canadian press which is the gulf in perception is is vast and uh it's uh it's staggering when you actually see interviews with people in the protests and people who live in ottawa saying that they've never felt safer with all these truckies around and then you go to the you know the various canadian papers and it's 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 as though they're, um, they're living under, under some sort of armed siege. It's a very, very different, uh, different take on events.
1: Mainstream media has accelerated its own decline, I think, as we said last week. I mean, it's, it, it's not over yet, you know, but, but they, they have jumped to a new stage of irrelevancy yeah. in the last two years in various degrees. What else on wrap up on COVID-19 before we, um, we attempt to cross the Tasman via the internet to uh,
0: to see if we can well, reach Well, I saw latency. something, Caroline, uh, might have been one of your fellow prisoners, mentioned that mm. going shopping, you're required to show your vaccination certificate if you're buying booze. Oh, yes. That you're not oh, yes. required to do it if you're buying, say, tinned seafood.
2: Yes, correct.
0: What's the logic? Uh, What's their reasoning, Brett?
2: Oh, well, look, Th- there's no no... Uh, clear reasoning. So if you go to just a normal standalone bottle shop, you have to show your ID. Um, but if you go to somewhere like Audi where they sell booze in the shop, mm. you don't need it if you're just buying your groceries, but you put so much as a can of beer with your groceries, then you've got to show your vaccination ID.
1: That's logical.
2: <laughs> it, totally, but it made absolutely no sense to me. Until someone suggested that perhaps it was just a very more than a casually racist way of increasing the Indigenous vaccination rate.
0: Ah, good point. Mm. Thank you for your local insight. It would probably also
1: increase the vaccination rate of expatriate Irish people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh,
0: and journalists, one would think.
2: Certain other groups of enthusiastic drinkers.
0: No, it's um, it's interesting though when people ask to see your vaccination certificate and that's it and uh and i drove through uh country new south wales a few months ago um places like broken hill will county and so on and i was getting asked you know even at mcdonald's i was getting asked for vaccination evidence and eventually i i asked someone it was in a in a broken hill restaurant uh, just asked how do you know it's me how do you know that the name on this certificate's anything to do with uh, me it's just on my phone you don't even know if it's my phone. He goes, "Oh, oh, yeah, oh, that's right. Um, uh, 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 driver's license, please, or another form of ID." I, yeah, I always follow up with that. Yes, I do. And I'm like, "Yes, yeah, sure, you do, pal." It's uh, it's kind of ridiculous.
1: Except him, that everybody knows you. Everybody knows you from your column in the Telegraph.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, for sure. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> a friend of mine. I won't even give the state reliefs for fear of getting a. Uh, I think what, what an American Republican politician described as the gazpacho said onto him. Uh, <laughs> he he uh, has a fake vaccination certificate, which he uh, he's, he's quite a gifted person artistically and he was able to create create one which uh, had identical formats and fonts to the, the real deal. <laughs> but he's also incredibly vain, so he took the opportunity to knock 10 years off his birth date. So he's... <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Yeah, he's very proudly walking around as you know, as a, as a as a near infant now. So that's good.
2: That rule only came into WA oh, 10 days ago, but at the beginning of the month. And um, I just realised how intensely stupid it was as a vaccinated person to have to show your your vaccine information. And your ID <laughs> to, like, eat a plate of food.
0: Yeah. I think you gave the specific example of grilled broccoli or something.
2: Stu- well, yeah, <laughs> you saw my tweet. Roast broccoli. It was roast broccoli. And I thought to myself, I'm not doing this. So I haven't been out since. I've suspended my gym membership. Me too. I've said to them, look... I'm not. I won't be coming in while this is a status quo. I think the best thing that you guys do is speak to your your industry body because mm. there needs to be feedback on this sort of stuff. But I, I'm just not.
0: Well, welcome to my life. Um, although to be fair, that was my life before COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, COVID's actually uh, expanded my uh, social world. Oh, bless you. It's also given you the the best
1: natural immunity you could possibly get. It's Tons better than any of these artificial vaccines, so well, well done. Yeah, and th- this is the point about WA because Omicron will hit WA and rip through the community, and tens of thousands will be affected. We've had two and a half million almost two and a half million cases in, in the in the in over east, as you say, Ooh. since the middle of December, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, there's been some some deaths, but but by and large. You know, 99.9% of people have lived to tell the tale. That will happen in WA. It's just a question of when.
2: Well, it will. And look, today we had um, 99 cases of 50-odd were in the community. So it's already here and it's going to happen. <laughs> the other problem is, is because people haven't been coming in and out of WA over the last couple of years, um, the hospitals are full of people with just other respiratory illnesses. Mm. There's lots of pneumonia. There's lots of all this other stuff. People are getting sick, but just of a, a respiratory illness that's not called COVID. And now that Omicron is here and we've had so little in the community, you're right. It's it's going to go through us like a 2 a.m. kebab. <laughs> no one seems to have got to that point yet of, of realising, because everyone's still like, you know, that we've got like some magical potion, which I, I don't understand. I'm, I just well, here's, don't understand. Here's
0: my theory, Caroline, about why on the east coast the booster rate take up isn't all that rapid because we were very quickly to you know 80 90 93 percent double jabbed mm. Mm. and then there was this you know disinclination to get boosted but people people didn't weren't so uh, so eager to line up their booster shot just a the theory but i think it might be that by now so many people have had covid or know of someone who's had covid yeah. and they've realized it's not that scary so they're like, ah. booster shot to protect me from what, man? You no, know, they're just getting on with things instead.
2: Correct. So WA now has, I think, like something like ninety-seven percent double dosed, and I think they're up to about.
0: And this is crazy, ninety-seven percent, and your border's shut.
2: It's insane. It's it's absolutely bonkers. And and we've had very senior doctors here, Luke Tory Clay Gollage, who you would yep. both be aware of, who have just um, who have just said, look all the um, vulnerable people have had their booster. And so while that booster is still effective, now is the time to open the borders while it's still hot, while there's not a lot of pressure on our hospital system, you know, comparative to the winter months. Now is the time to do it. But obviously the government dropped its bundle and bailed out on that. Lots of people, other people, not necessarily vulnerable people, but got their boosters in anticipation of the border opening. So the week... um, the week that the, or before the border was meant to open, but before they pulled the pin, um, our mutual friend um, went and got mm-hmm. her booster and I said to her, I'm going to wait till the border opens and then I'm going to get mine. And she said, why is that? And I said, because I just reckon he's going to squib it.
0: You, you know, Carol, just talking about localised sort of trucker uprisings, last time I was in Perth, I was just... The traffic lights at one point, and uh, then a shadow was cast over the vehicle, and it was because a semi trailer had pulled up next to me, and on the back of the semi trailer yep. were the biggest wheels I'd ever seen. They were being oh, they yeah. were being hauled, obviously, to some sort of mine, mine or some sort of destination requiring the world's n- most enormous vehicle. The wheel nuts on this thing
2: yeah, huge, they're massive were
0: each as big as my head. Mm. Now you'd only need maybe four of those. And you've locked Perth down for good. <laughs> Not, don't want to give anyone ideas. You know, up in the up in the north of the state, but
2: all of a sudden there's these big dump trucks parked up St George's Terrace.
0: Oh, that'd be so. Oh, I mean, I'll it'd be, be awful and sad. But um, <laughs> you know, you've got trucks that have a lot of trucks in WA are so big they have ladders. They have no, yeah. sorry, staircases, and um, right. and and more than one driver because they're just too big to navigate. they they're you know they're land right. cruise ships. Couple of wheelers down from the north. I mean, you might have to make your own roads. Wheel a few of those down from uh, from some of the mining sites, and um, maybe the maybe the premier might take some uh, more aggressive action to open the state.
2: Call Auntie Gina and see if she's got a couple to spare. She's got one or
0: two. The rules, as we
1: know, are totally illogical ridiculous without any scientific backing but questioning them Correct. uh brings down the wrath of the gazpacho set <laughs> and the image in my mind of being attacked by somebody bearing a a bowl full of chilled tomato soup with <laughs> <laughs> The vaccination protest convoy reached New Zealand this week, causing an eruption, an eruption of what the New Zealand media described as ugly scenes in the capital, Wellington. The ugly scenes apparently included the arrest of a naked woman whose uh, beauty or otherwise is not immediately apparent from the grainy pictures on Twitter of her being dragged by her hair by a pair of stout Kiwi constables. Uh, Prime Minister Jacinta Ardern appeared on Talk ZB this week where she spoke to sheep farmer termed vaccinology expert Jamie Mackay. Let's have a listen. Well, it was opening speeches in Parliament. None of you set foot outside of Parliament to meet with the anti-mandate protest convoy or are they, Prime Minister, just plain old anti-vaxxers?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's fair to say there seems to be a range of, of perspectives, I would say, amongst the group that have um, gathered. I'm looking at a picture of the protesters on the forecourt or the front lawn there at Parliament, and mm. the big placard I can see says mm.
1: natural immunity, 99.6% mm. effective. Now, some of these people have gone down some serious mm. rabbit holes.
2: Yes. Yes, and, and look, you know, I think we'd all be concerned about not just misinformation and or disinformation when it comes to COVID and vaccines, but just generally and the impact that that can have. And it is very hard to have been conversations around fact when they question everything, mainstream media, government institutions. Um, but again, uh, I think keeping it in perspective, it is, it is not a large
1: group. Well, for more on that story, let's cross to the land formerly known as New Zealand, now known as Aotearoa, I think, which means the land of the long white teeth. To talk to Kiwi talkback radio legend and podcast presenter Leighton Smith. Leighton, um, sheepishly, I confess you're the first NZ guest we've invited on the Six O'Clock Swirl. In fact, may well be the last. I doubt it, but you may be the first New Zealand guest ever to appear on Australian media since we pay shamefully little attention to events across the Tasman. Tell me where you're up to with COVID and tell me about these COVID protests this week.
3: Well, let's start with the, with the protests. Uh, now, let's start with the clip that you played, actually, because um, it was nothing but propaganda. And, and if you'd asked me um, my opinion straight off it, off the back of it, I would have instantly said, objection, Your Honour, leading question. It wasn't an interview, it was propaganda. He asked her a simple question that he posed the answer to, and um, I thought it was pathetic, but nevertheless, uh, she played along because she uh, she doesn't like being challenged too much. She's banned. When you say it was on News Talk said me, it um, only only goes to part of the country in the farming program. Doesn't crack the uh, the big time. Mm. So the um, uh, it, it surprised me that it was so so weak. Because the woman needs to be challenged, and challenged constantly. She has cut off um, the Hosking breakfast because he challenged her continuously and aggressively and correctly. And anybody else who um, who was on the station that doesn't uh, that doesn't uh, bow to the um, temple of truth uh, doesn't get time. And that's to, that. I, I think that's to a bit of advantage because it's much easier to to comment with regard to to matters rather than just just going through the process of, of getting the, the propagandised answers. So the, the protests started uh, uh, about a week ago and the truckies were and the, the tractors and what have you all headed to, uh, to Wellington. Now they have found themselves on the front lawn of Parliament which is subject to the rules and regulations of the Speaker and the Speaker has um, told them to go away and issued a, a warning accordingly. But they are not moving. Now, the one thing that the, the, the PM did get right is that there are numerous groups involved in this. The, the straight farming anti-mandate people, it's not true to say they're anti-vax, The anti-mandate people, uh, have been uh, subjected to a bunch of clip-ons. For instance, I looked at a, I looked at a video earlier this morning. There's a, a mongrel mob member standing there in, in the crowd
0: the mongrel Bob being a biking sort of outfit, yeah.
3: It's a, it's a, yes, but it's a, it's a Maori, it's a Maori centred. You won't find any, um, any, any people that look like you, in the, um, in the Mongrel Bob, uh, But they, but they are a gang, uh. And uh, some of them, some of them have returned from Australia at the courtesy of um Scott Morrison, and we're not happy about it either, by the way. Uh, the um, uh, the point being that there are numerous numerous groups that have clipped themselves onto this and some of them are behaving badly. And so that gets the attention and that, of course, means that um, a lot of people side with uh, the government over this. Uh, and they certainly have been affecting downtown Wellington and the uh, the store traffic.
0: Leighton, uh, what we've seen in Australia and New Zealand and especially, I think, Canada is a very graphic representation of the gap between uh, the urban elites and regional, regional and rural people. I think it might be bigger in Canada than Australia because um, the urban elites there are especially um, tame and effeminate and weak, and, uh, and their regions are, are um, full of you know, ice hockey fans. It's a, it's a big gulf. What sort of gap is there in New Zealand? Because, of course, you don't have the same geographic uh, mass to spread your people out in. Is it, is, is it a closer relationship or is it, um, or is it still that, uh, that gap between the urban elites and the, the regional people?
3: Well, I'd be cautious with using the word elite because it's overused these days.
0: Well, I used it about 15 times in that sentence. Yeah, go for it, mate. Yeah.
3: I, I know what you mean, but um, I, I'd suggest that uh, we don't really have what I'd consider an elite... Unless you're going to simply take a, a group of people who are the
0: well, let's say you know, left-leaning public service types, lots of them, damn straight,
3: and they have grown under this government by I can't recall the number of thousands, but by but by a number of thousands they have grown. They're expanding the uh, the public service dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the what's the difference? Look, let me let me utilise something that um, is written by. A left-leaning commentator, very left-leaning commentator, who's been around a long time, and uh, Chris Trotter, Labour person, and his his, um, his article was on hey poor poor and we'll get to that I guess threatens to do to New Zealand's right what Nomics did to its left in less than two years in the in less than two years the New Zealand right will face a battle for its very survival. If the combined votes of Labour and the Greens add up to a parliamentary majority in 2023, 18 months, then the rules of the political political game will be changed fundamentally. Capitalism, as we have known it, along with our liberal democratic political system, will be changed profoundly. What we're talking about is a a threat to democracy. I did an interview on my podcast this week with a retired judge, and uh, the subject was Marxism. It couldn't happen here. Put it, <laughs> and, he an and he wrote an article that um, uh, that led me to interview him. Seventeen A4 pages of printout, and uh, it's extremely good, and I'd recommend it. But when it comes to when it comes to trying to get back to your elite, when it comes to the, I suppose the fr- professorships, the universities, um, the public service, um, few, a few others, mm-hmm. the the gap is wider than it was, as the gap between rich and poor is much wider than it was. I only just discovered...
0: That's very significant too in all of this. The tensions um, in that equation are um, significant because you've got so many people who are in the laptop class who may not have suffered at all financially during all these lockdowns. In fact, a lot of them in Australia have seen their pay be increased. And, And then you've got your... Into, just to make a broad sort of assumption, the tractor and truck driving class, um, they can't go outside.
3: Uh, correct. The, the point I was going to drive at was that I, I've only just recently discovered, I'd say in the last year, that the, the, there are many, many more rich people, wealthy people in this country than I realised and that most people were aware of. And the government's now chasing them, by the way, um, on on tax issues, rearranging the tax rules, and uh, doing all sorts of um, uh, things to discover what um, some of them some of them questionable, or discover what um, what people have been doing with their
1: money. But that'll get rid of some of them, Leighton. I mean, putting up taxes will reduce your number of uh, wealthy people considerably, and probably increase those in Australia and elsewhere.
3: Uh, and you are spot on because the number of people that I who I know who are who are planning to leave the country should the 23 election go down the same, same road um, is really quite, uh, quite, quite dramatic.
0: I want to hear from Carolyn because she's in Western Australia, you're in New Zealand. I just imagine during all of this, if you were a family in New Zealand who had uh, family members in Western Australia, they're never going to see each other for the rest of their lives. <laughs>
2: Basically, basically. And actually, it's been really interesting watching uh, the New Zealand example, the the, the hysteria around the, this COVID zero policy and, and the isolation. I mean, here in WA, we joke about being stuck behind the iron ore curtain, and, and we really are. <laughs> you know, the rest of the country has opened up. There's international flights. 21st of February, we, um, the eastern states gets international uh, tourists. And in WA, you can still only return or still only come here on compassionate grounds, um, which I find extraordinary. But, Layton, what I'm really interested in is we've had a real culture here in Western Australia where our leader has almost been deified, and I, I thought I thought that we were a bit rowdier here in in WA, but it turns out we're basically recreational hypochondriacs. What has shocked you the most? in the mindset and, and the reaction uh, to the government's COVID zero policies.
3: What has shocked me most, uh, I think the compliance that started right at the beginning and carried on for a long time. But over a period of time, and I have to describe it this way, over a period of time, people started to get very weary and tired of a prime minister that talks to them like their kindergarten children and delivers her speeches accordingly. Uh, then then she started making, well she started at the beginning making many wrong calls uh, that um, once the vaccination once you get the vaccination, you won't get COVID. Once you get the vaccination, you won't die. Once you get the vaccination, you won't go to hospital. all of which has proven to be incorrect. But somewhere along that, that route, she made a, a, a statement where she talked about at a press conference, pulpit of truth and this is where you will get the truth this is where you must come to get the truth nowhere else come here trust us believe us and she's proved to be anything but trustworthy and believable so 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 the so the wave started sort of around that period
1: and and now it's rolling quite dramatically i i, I sort of see i mean australia is facing an election this may uh we have a a Labour Party that's trying to run a small target approach that it's not really putting out its agenda, which actually worries me because it seems to me that the, the uh, evidence from the US and indeed New Zealand is that if you get a, a left, uh, uh, you know, broadly centre-left government elected with, um, with no firm commitment to you know, economic reform and those sort of things that your Labour governments have done in the past and so have ours, then they're going to drift to the left. And, uh, you know, with Jacinta Ardern, it's not just COVID, of course. Uh, You know, she's run a whole uh, woke agenda, which uh, I think may have escaped people here. I'm just gonna play a very, very short clip uh, because this kind of surprised me. This is Jacinta Ardern at the start of a press conference. Uh, I might play it twice because it goes very quickly and you kind of miss it, but let's have a a listen
0: Katoa. good
2: afternoon. First, um, to the week ahead.
1: I'll just play that again, and then perhaps you can translate it. So this is uh, the the Prime Minister of an English-speaking country addressing a largely English-speaking population. Katoa.
3: good afternoon. First, um, to the week ahead.
1: What was she saying, and what, what does it say about the approach she's taken? Uh, it says a lot, um,
3: but not as not as much as you might be. Putting on it at the moment, Um, but you're essentially correct. You're headed in the right direction. A lot of people do it Uh, when they're making speeches. When they look, you've got uh, you've got over there now. You've got um, the beginnings of a of a talk or a lecture or a welcome to a function Mm. with people saying we're standing on, especially university folks. We're standing. we're, 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 We're we're grateful to be standing on the ground of the, the what's your name tribe whatever it might be etc yeah. etc it's much the same approach it's recognizing the uh, the indigenous people of the country and that's what haipua is all about and it's going to take us down a road of um, some considerable ugliness if it uh, if it gets if it gets uh, implemented and it will be implemented if, if she wins in 2023 it's going to be well and truly on the way to it before then and what's at the end of that road? Well, there's, a, there's room for discussion there because I've been talking in Marxist terminology about where, where things are going. A very good friend of mine who um, is far more knowledgeable than me with much more experience in the area of politics um, said to me yesterday that um, he's not so concerned about that. Uh, it's more the future of democracy that he's worried about and he's very, very worried about democracy in the country whether it's marxist or whatever it might be and how it ends up it's going to be something as um chris Trotter, as I read a moment ago says is um, some' got to change dramatically
0: blaightton how are the polls looking for jab cinder at the moment
3: she is she has plummeted in the polls she has mm-hmm. but uh, and the new labor uh, the new leader of the uh, the national party they i think they're fourth now since since the uh, last not this last election, but the one before where they lost Where they lost it, and it went to Jacinda. Um, he's been rising, but the strength of that rise is simply because he's not Jacinda. At the moment, he's done very little, apart from be nice uh, and tell everybody he wants to learn, he and his wife are going to learn Tereo, which is the Maori language.
0: Could she learn English at the same time? Because when, when Nick was talking about translating that earlier thing, I thought he was talking about her using the word ahid. The word anid? Oh, no, ahid. As we move into the times ahid of us... ahead. It's like, seriously, she needs... It's not just for her Māori work that she needs subtitles. It's, it's all the time. The accent is so broad to an Australian ear. Yeah, but the Australian accent is so broad to a... No, 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 no. There's no such thing as that like, we're, we're accent-free. We're neutral. It's been proved. Well, what, how would
3: you say my accent sounded?
0: You sound like an old-fashioned New Zealand accent, which is to say very close to an Australian accent.
3: I could smack you.
0: <laughs> born in Melbourne,
3: raised in Sydney, father born
0: in Perth. There you go. You're an
1: Australian. And uh, you cut your teeth uh, on, uh, on radio here uh, too, of course, Layton. Tasmania, Orange, Townsville, 2CH in Sydney.
3: And 5AA
0: in Adelaide. But you only need to go back two or three generations late, and, and the New Zealand accent was nowhere near as pronounced. Uh, you know, Robert Muldoon was, um, could have passed for an Australian. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's become a lot more exaggerated in a, in a very short period of time. I, I have no idea why, but um, there, was no, uh, there was no Jacinda accents even 15, 20 years ago.
3: I'm going to suggest to you that you, you're so in, into um, – you're so in the, in the marketplace mm-hmm. that you're not noticing – you haven't noticed the, the broadness of the Australian accent. Could you, could you teach your fellow Australians, of which I am one, yes. uh, but could you teach them, please, do something about saying Australia? 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 Oh, Australia. Everyone says Australia. Wait. Even the newsreaders say Australia. Especially the sports commentators.
0: We're just economically reducing it by a syllable, just trying to save people time. You know, it's not like we're in Zealand or anything like that. Bottom line
3: is we understand each other if we, if we
0: concentrate. That's true. That's true. Although I don't understand how in both of our countries, the conservative parties are taking such a weak line against the general uh, left wing consensus on COVID or anything else. What's the strongest sort of conservative element? And this is seen as well in Canada, by the way. What's the strongest sort of conservative response been to Jacinda and of various directives and orders? Well, there's been a, a considerable growth
3: in, um, in me- online media uh, with regard to th- the situation. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's got an ascent like that mm-hmm. with different folk, different people setting up sites, some very intelligent ones, some very well-educated ones, uh, and some very experienced ones amongst them because there's some rubbish as well. Yeah. Uh, there's a few rabbit holes. But um, so that's that's one. The, the National Party has been struggling, in my opinion, uh, has been struggling with an identity for a number of years. They don't really know who they are anymore. It's been a long time since I've heard a um, a thumping speech talking about talking about freedom and liberty and um, independence and self uh, self. Self-care. Yeah. Uh, the the run started in the 2005 election when Helen Clark regained the, the uh, treasury benches when it was expected that she wouldn't. Uh, right at the very last moment, she pulled a couple of rabbits out of a hat, and um, and swung the uh, swung the result. And they were one was working for families, which which had to do with social welfare. And and included went right up to include families earning 120,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other the other was interest-free student loans, and that was a big number. And of course, it led to uh, student debt um, rocketing, uh, and it hasn't it it hasn't achieved anything that uh, that you would or that should be expected from something like that. And a lot of a lot of kids uh, went to university because they um, because they didn't know what else to do. Got loans, stayed a year or two, and then got left with the uh, with the benefit of um, paying them back.
0: It's a terrific world when you end up, you know, 150, 200 grand in debt, and all you've got to show for it's an ethnomusicology degree that um, entitles you to work at McDonald's. (laughs) You've got if if that. Late in the um, uh, there, I mean there are so many
1: similarities of course, not only in the country, it's people, but also in the political debate. there as here there is uh, talk about a republic. here it's pretty much fallen flat, but um, there are still people who want it over, over in New Zealand. I see the Maru Party recently renewed their, uh, their uh, call to abolish the Queen to create a, titiri- and, and I'm not, I'm trying no disrespect to the Maori people if I mispronounce this, it's just my own stupidity. They want a tiriti centric Aotearoa through constitutional transformation, whatever that is. Uh, I think the Queen sounds a better option, but that's what they're after. But, you know, I, I was just reflecting on, on the fact that you had a, a, a referendum on whether to change the flag uh, not so long ago, brought in, surprisingly, I thought, by a conservative Prime Minister John Key, but that fell flat on its face. You're going to keep the flag along with that bit of ours you stole, the Union Jack. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it, when you talk about a rep- does this reflect the fact that most people are far more conservative and um, and respectful of, of your traditions and cultural origins than you would think from you know what you see on um, in the media and in Parliament? I've got to
3: say, I've got to say there's a big division. It's growing division uh you've got uh, you've got some who are died in the wool royalists uh quite a, quite a lot of them but i think um that i would reflect a reasonable view if i said that um when charles becomes king that would be a really neat time to get the hell out of there but i am not a republican um and i think that you've got to be careful as the saying goes, you've got to be careful what you wish for.
2: The the thing that I'm um, more broadly can, well, concerned about and, and how we get to this point is I don't quite understand the mindset, and you'll forgive me for using the term, I suppose, that that Anglo sense of, of collective guilt. Um, around well, we have it in Australia and and I, I assume it's the same in New Zealand you know I my, my family's Sicilian my mum's Sicilian so if you want to talk about invasion and rape and pillage and whatever I mean we've had it all we we just round it all up together and call it culture and and go and make money off it um why why is there such a sense of um like a cultural shame that and and this is almost to all three of you because culturally I don't understand it, why does that cultural shame exist in relation to um, the Westminster system, liberal democracy and and the institutions that were brought here?
3: Can I suggest it's got everything to do with the long march through the institutions?
2: Mm.
0: Great question.
3: Very good question. It's one that um, frustrates me because um, there aren't enough people paying attention to it. But the Marxists have reached here well and truly in the education system. The politics, the, the political parties have changed. Labour has, has, is, is no longer Labour. Um, it's, um, it's swung very hard to the left. Uh, and you've got to remember that Jacinda Ardern was, uh, in 2008, she was the president of uh, the International Social Youth Organisation.
0: When you say, by the way, that Labour has, has gone further to the left... In previous generations, that would have meant further to the working class, further to uh, uh, the marginalised. Yes. But nowadays, of course, to go further to the left means going towards a wealthy, woke class of Tesla driving dipsticks. It's, uh, it's, it's a very different sort of structure these days when you say going further to the left, isn't it?
3: Look, I accept, I accept that you're right, but I don't think you're right here. Oh, Really? Best example I can give you is um, I know a couple of people. One in particular, who is a very wealthy individual, mm-hmm. who was a major supporter, financial supporter of the Labor Party, up until about a year ago, uh, and he has turned tail and run and is now donating elsewhere. And that's a prime example of of the sort of change that's been introduced by this present government, particularly its leader.
0: And what was the incentive behind that shift uh, of your friend?
3: Social issues, mm-hmm. um, and the enforcement of unwanted change are in certain areas of life, but very broad, broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, if we move this conversation now just a little to he pua pua he pua pua, which sounds disgusting,
0: sounds like a drink you order at a at a tiki lounge.
3: <laughs> Before that, anybody heard of three waters? No. Three Waters is 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 the first move. Three Waters is the government taking off the the intent to take off the councils of the country that the, the people run and own. Now, the local government, the councils. Yeah, local government, all the assets and ownership of water. Three Waters being being drinking water, sewerage, and drain water. So it is a cocktail you get at a tiki round. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't drink cocktails, so I wouldn't know. But. <laughs>
2: but, but that is terrifying because the minute that you split those riparian rights from the land rights, land the, it fundamentally um, affects the value of the land and it fundamentally affects property rights.
3: Yes, it, it affects a lot of things. But there's, but there's even more. Nick mentioned the Maori Party earlier. Mary Party's got two members. That's it. They did have more in the past, but it's it's been it, disin, it disintegrated, but came back at the at the um, second to last election. They've got two two members in Parliament. That's two out of hundred and twenty. So they don't have much uh, political pull, but they do have, a, according to some people, a great deal of of entertainment appeal. They get attention because of the mockus and the way they dress and the way they talk and what they want, etc. So they're the ones pushing this uh, this particular vote, but that has caused the government to pander it more to the Labour caucus
1: in the Labour Party. Leighton, there's a lot we could talk to you about, but uh, we've uh, run out of time. I don't know when the borders will open between Australia and, uh, and New Zealand, but let's hope it's while well, we're still young enough and healthy enough to enjoy solid food so that we can sit down at a good restaurant <laughs> and indeed and, uh, the Leighton Smith podcast uh, is well worth listening to um, if you want an idea how good it is listen to the one of the recent episodes i think the one before last wasn't it dr scott atlas the yes. former health advisor to donald trump that's worth the price of admission alone thank you for your podcast and thank you for joining us today on the six o'clock swill Can i just say one more thing please there's there's just as
3: a point of um a point of reference nzcpr.com new zealand Centre for uh, political um research yep. nzcpr.com You'll find that 17-page article written by the retired judge on there, Judge uh, Willie, Anthony Willie, and it's well worth reading, uh, but the podcast will deliver as well.
1: Thanks. Well, we'll put a reference to that in the notes, and thanks for joining us.
0: been a great, great pleasure. Thank you very, very much, Leighton. I know that uh, listeners can't see it, but that's a great chair you've got behind you. It looks like a sort of a Recaro racing seat or something.
3: It's a game chair.
0: (laughs) Oh, brilliant.
2: You need to be comfy.
3: I spend so much time sitting here, and working, that I went and bought one. koutou katoa, Good afternoon.
2: First, um, to the weekend. Clayton
1: Smith. Well, breaking news from the Central Coast. Our man on the spot, Tim Blair. Tim, tell us what's happened.
0: I live on a little hill here, and uh, looks down above a we're above a kind of a hairpin corner. When it rains, um, the neighbourhood drags lawn chairs out into the front yards and just waits for the action because this is a tight corner and we've got some drivers who might not pay attention. And, um, yeah, it happened. We uh, it was the usual uh, screech of lock brakes and then this thumping sound. And when this happens, the neighbourhood goes into into action, um, depending on how serious the crashes. I mean, it's a hairpin corner, so they not, tend not to be high-speed crashes, but sometimes you'll see a car upside down or whatever. And people will hurry down there, and uh, if a driver needs to be extracted, they'll do what they can to help. It's a very caring neighbourhood. Anyway, this time, there was no car. We couldn't see a car. We're looking around. Where's the car? I was with other neighbours. And then one of my neighbours said, and this is a phrase that's understood in our street, maybe it's gone in.
1: Got in? Got in this, where? This,
0: this is uh, the very cryptic sort of way of phrasing for a, a vehicle that's gone through the trees... And about twenty feet twenty meters or so, down into a ditch, which is uh, when it rains becomes a creek, and um, so we went down there. the car had just it was on about a forty five degree angle it was just tilting there, waiting to go. The driver had got out wasn 't hurt, but uh, the vehicle's still there as i speak it 's a few hours later and it's the angle is increasing it 's going to end up end up going in the only thing that 's been done so far, some police came out and put some um Uh, police tape on it. No one's hauled it out of there. It's just waiting to go down. (laughs) And uh, if you want a political metaphor for last week, I think um, Joe Biden and um, Scott Morrison, they would look at that car and think, man, that's me, isn't it? Just waiting to be tipped over at this point.
2: We can call your hairpin the House of Representatives.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No one can negotiate it.
1: (laughs) There have been some bright spots to the week. I I, I, I did a baby boomer thing yesterday and went to the premiere of the premiere showing in Australia at least in Sydney of of the new Beatles movie Get Back uh, which is uh, a wonderful uh, recreation of that rooftop concert Uh, and and to set the evening off at the Cremorne Theatre they had uh, a wonderful Beatles bang, the Beatles rebooted they were they were damn good I tell you but There was a big sign up above them on the on the screen saying that, uh, you know, patrons were expected to remain in their seats, masked at all times, except briefly while drinking. uh, And that no no singing was allowed. I thought we have just got this fabulous Beatles band up. How long is this no singing rule going to last? It lasted as far as. She loves you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Off they went. And I thought, well, what does it matter? We're back in 1963. COVID is
0: not an issue. <laughs> there are hundreds and hundreds of Beatles tribute bands around the world. Yeah,
1: they're very good, some of them.
0: Some of them are terrific. I think there was one that's been around for decades in Australia called The Beatniks, and they just keep, you know, as various Pauls and Johns and Ringos and so on, Georges, or those, they gradually die, they just replace them. But um, I've never seen... I'd love a more conceptual Beatles tribute band that ends the show when Yoko comes on and splits everyone up, <laughs> just as a way of sort of bringing the curtain down on on the performance. She could just come on and start pulling out plugs from the amps and so on, and alienating the character playing Paul.
1: I realise we've been very rude, Tim. We should have explained to Caroline who
0: the Beatles are. Uh, they are. A... Well,
2: I know who the Beatles are. <laughs> I wasn't around, but my mum has them on LP. <laughs>
0: That's, it's, it's getting worse. Um, I was in a JB Hi-Fi earlier and um, I heard a young woman say to her friend, oh, wow, they're really playing some kooky music today in here. This is wild. And I said, uh, that's the soundtrack to Staying Alive, sweetheart.
1: <laughs>
0: to her, it was like this brand new sound from a freaky new era. And I'm like, oh, I,
2: love I, I don't know if you guys remember it, but a little while back, Paul McCartney did a um, collaboration with Kanye West. Really, really. Yeah, and and on the, on, I think it was on Twitter. All these people were like, oh my god, Kanye's going to make this guy so famous. It <laughs> 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 was an absolute melter, and you're like, mm, <laughs> this is awkward. Anyway, but yeah, so Kanye was going to make Paul McCartney famous. Anyway.
1: The good news on the music front is that Neil Young is still off Spotify, and we are still on it. We won. We are the podcast they cannot move <coughs> off Spotify or Apple iTunes or any of the other dozens of platforms on which you can hear us. Uh, thank you.
0: But by, by the way, Nick, our, our new theme music is very nice with those intercut little mentions of Six O'Clock Swill and the responses to it. But any old timer ever whines to me again, any super old timer that is. You know, I'm already an old timer, but you know, a, a super super old timer. If any of those people ever whinge to me again about the terrible difficulties of living in Australia during the time of 6 o'clock closing, well, that can go to hell because um, we've we've had 24-7 closing. Yeah, right. yeah. You know, we've gone through a lot yeah. worse in the last couple of years.
1: Particularly in WA where the
0: unvaccinated are denied
1: the opportunity to buy a drink at all. But uh... Yes.
2: And in Western Australia back in the day... Before my time.
0: When wasn't before your time, Carolyn?
2: Oh, well,
1: you know. <laughs> that, that's that, that's that's 2017, I think, Tim. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Back in the olden days in WA, um,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it used to be um, illegal to um, drink in the city, within the city limits on a Sunday.
0: Yeah, that's right. You had to do that sort of...
2: The pubs weren't open in WA on a Sunday. And that's where our Sunday session was born, because everyone would drive to the first pub in the country on the other side of the city limits for their Sunday session. Mm.
0: Yeah, I remember trying to contact people in Perth on Sundays, you know, before the internet, and uh, and they're like, oh, no, it's the sessions, man. He won't be back for like two hours, and then he won't be okay. uh, coherent.
1: <laughs> it's a very different, very different culture over there, which I think, uh, credit yeah, to us, Jim, Jim that we allowed... WA to enter the federation in the first place. Uh, oh, no, no, it was, are, you, are you any thoughts to cut? Are there any thoughts that WA might
0: rejoin the federation?
2: It, it actually feels so weird because I feel like WA has become like part of East Africa,
0: <laughs> except, except with obesity and diabetes. Yeah, correct.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah.
0: You're closer
1: to Uganda than you are to Sydney. That's for sure.
0: Philosophically or geographically, Nick.
2: <laughs> it feels like we live on on this total different planet. I mean, you've got people, you've got um, Rob Scott, you've got people um, like Richard Goiter who are like, I need to go and live on, you know, the, the nasty side of the, the iron ore curtain so that I can run my business because you you can't run a business from WA. But a lot of people are just like, well, off you go then, abandon us. <laughs> We don't want you, and I'm like, oh my god, like the, the, the parochialism has, is just next level.
0: Yeah, but you're all going to die of like really common things because you, as you pointed out before, you've lost your immunity, uh, uh, you know, to, to so many other sort of diseases. You know, you'll be dying of croup, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you seen that marvelous show mustard dogs on the abc on a saturday no well it's on
0: the abc so i haven't no is it good
1: i broke my habit of about five years and watched an abc show it's terrific
2: Ultimate Working Dog Challenge. Five pedigree puppies are matched with five passionate trainers. I do it because I love it. I could talk cows and dogs all day. In a 12 month experiment. What makes a good trainer is someone that understands how dogs work. Who will become a lean, mean muster
3: machine?
1: I don't know how this got through the sensors on the ABC. It's, it's genuine part of Australia television, and the Kelpie, of course, is a fascinating dog. Oh, absolutely. Skilled at using minimum viable force.
2: I think it's one of those things where the ABC, um, as we know, despises anyone who lives outside a five-kilometre radius of any CBD, but they know they've got a charter so they have to do things occasionally which makes them look like they don't hate everyone else. So I always read like, something goes on, there's a critique of the ABC and then they kind of stop and they're like, Oh. Yep yep and then they whack in a cobra on Heather Hewitt and send her out bush somewhere.
1: I got another theory I think it's I think it's the dog. I think it's the do- I think it's uh, everybody you see it. a cute puppy everybody kind of softens even the ABC. So maybe that's the secret next time they invite me on Q&A would I Were I foolish enough to accept the invitation I'd definitely appear with a puppy on my knee. I think and I might get a kind of reception. I
2: think
1: that
0: would soften soften your image. <laughs>
1: But look, it's been great to have Caroline on the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and we'll, I'm sure we'll have you back in that chair before long. Don't forget, we have one email address. shared between us, nick at com. Big shout out once again to Gibbo. Uh, you, I mean, listening to your hi-fi, high-fidelity sounds this week.
0: This is all due to Gibbo's technical insight and advice, which uh, we are massively grateful for. Is that good? He could explain things to a Harvard academic.
1: Great stuff. Well, that's it for the six o'clock swill. Please uh, remember you your duty, which is to give us five stars. Yes, give us five stars, and don't forget your booster star, Hong Kong. Uh, tell all your friends. Uh, click on the subscribe button and uh, join us again next week for another edition of the six o'clock swill.
2: <laughs> Bye, Jens. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way.
0: Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family.
1: But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come.